Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from December 6th by Pastor Randy, titled The Path Part 2. It'd be a great time just to be in His presence and just behold Him. Uh, Sometimes I know when you have newborn babies like we have back over here with Brad there. Sometimes you just want to just sit and, and look. You know, you just want to sit and, and just watch him and think, oh, how wonderful this new life. And what a joy it will be just to be in heaven and just, just watch and look at our Savior. That will be a great time. So, last week, I said, most people didn't hear, <laughs> But I said, the good news is that most of the personal pain that we experience in life can be avoided. There's enough unintentional pain that we get. Why would we want to have more pain? Why wouldn't we want to avoid more pain if we could? In God's way of helping us avoid pain is through principles. He gives us principles to avoid unintentional pain. And last week we said that a principle, it can be explained, it can be experienced, but it can't be invented. It has to be discovered. And once you discover a principle, you have a choice at that point. You can either leverage that principle for your benefit in your life, or you can ignore that principle for your demise. And the principle that we were looking at was simply called the principle of the path, which simply says this, the path that you're on, not your intention, but the path that you're on determines your destination, determines where you wind up. Such an easy principle to to get across in a state where most of our roads are named for where they end up at. So if you want to go to Seward, you get on the Seward Highway. Now, if you intend to go Seward, but you get on the Glen Highway, you're going to wind up in Glen Allen. You're not going to wind up in Seward. So the path that you're on, not your intention, determines your destination. And here's the thing. Whether we like it or not, we want to admit it or not, we're on paths. Everybody here, you're on a health path. What you're doing now with your body, with what you eat, what you do, what you exercise, all that stuff is going to lead somewhere. You're on a health path. You're, you're on a, a relationship path. You're on a financial path. The financial decisions you make now is going to determine where you wind up. You're on a financial path. There's a parenting path, a dating path, a marriage path. You, we're all on these paths. Yeah, so just like we know how this applies to riding in a car, the path that we're on determines where we wind up at, or hiking, or whatever else. We're on these paths in life, and that determines where we wind up. But so often, what happens is that people intend to go in this direction and wind up over here, but instead they take this other path and get over here, and that's not a good place. Life falls apart. And you know what they do then? They blame God. God, I intended to be over here. How come I'm not here? Because of the principle of the path. Because people think that their intentions ought to trump their decisions. 
People think their intentions, where they want to, where they want to wind up, that ought to trump all decisions that they make. But the principle of the path will trump your intentions every time. So you're on a path. Your hopes, your dreams, your prayers, your intentions, whatever else, that will not determine where you end up. The path that you're on will determine where you end up. So you may intend to be over here, but if you're on a path going over here, you're not going to wind up where this path leads. This principle also works for us. It works to our benefit. For example, you get hurt. Everybody gets hurt in life. Somebody does something to hurt them. You have a choice, and I'm going to choose anger, or I'm going to choose forgiveness. And if you choose forgiveness, then not right away, but somewhere down the line, you're going to say, oh, I'm so glad I chose that. Because you look at people who choose anger, and they wind up in bitterness. Or, let's say financial responsibility. You choose to be financially responsible. There will a day come where you say, I'm so glad I chose that path. It's not going to come right away, but you keep walking down that path of financial responsibility. You will wind up in a place someday where you'll say, I'm so glad I chose to walk down this path. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story that the wisest man in the world tells us about a guy who is watching some, so another young man walk by and this young man thinks he's on this other path, but the wise man, because he knows where the path he owns leads, he says, no, 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 no. He's winding up in a completely different place than he thinks. Let's look at the story. This is out of Proverbs uh, 7, starting with verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youth, a young man lacking sense. Now, he calls this youth inexperienced. That's not a put-down. All youth are inexperienced, okay? Because in order to have experience, it takes time and experience to gain that, right? And youth, they just haven't lived long enough. And so young people, that's why your, your parents come down upon you because they know you just lack experience. Then he says this, crossing the street near her corner. You hear the music change? He strolled down the road to her house at twilight, in the evening, in the dark of the night. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to know where this is going. So you have this young man walking toward her house at night. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, this is going to be great. He's got a theme song playing in the back of his mind. It's born to be wild or party like a rock star or something like that but then you have this older guy who's seeing this go on and there's a theme song playing in the back of his mind too and it's not born to be wild it's the theme to jaws because he knows what's coming he knows what's going to happen so you have these completely two different viewpoints you have the young man on a path thinking this is going to end up in a great place but you have another guy who sees the path that he's on and says, no, 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 he's actually on this path, and it's not going to end up getting good at all. Then we read this. A woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. 
She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings today. I fulfilled my vows. So what she's saying is that, hey, I'm not a prostitute. I've gone to the temple. I've emptied my sin bucket out. It's completely empty. And now I want to come and fill it back up with you. Now what an insult to God for people to think that way. God's going to forgive my sins. I can just go and sin all I want to. But that's what's going on here. Okay, that's what's happening. Then we read this. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. Did you get that? I was looking for you. So what's this guy, what's going on in back of his mind? She wants some of this. I'm a stud muffin. She wants me. She came looking for me. She says she's got to have me. So in his mind, this, this is his dream come true. Right? This, this is everything he could hope for. She says, I spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myth, alloys, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. So what's going on in his mind? The night of my life. I'm a rock star. So he's saying, this is going to be great. My husband isn't home. He's saying, I assume that. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. So what, what's, what's she saying here? She's saying, look, in the morning... You don't have to get up and rush away and leave. You can have breakfast and a cup of coffee. And we can do this again tomorrow night. We go on. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with her flattering talk. In other words, he's saying, this is going to be the night of my life. This is going to be great. I can't wait. You know, like a rock star going through this. He follows her impulsively. But now the older guy sees it differently, doesn't he? How does he see it? Like an ox going to slaughter. And if that wasn't enough, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver. If that wasn't a good, good enough analogy for you to get across what's going to happen, like a bird darting into a snare, he doesn't know it will cost him his life. So the older guy looks at this and he says, you think this is night of your life? You think you're the, you're the stuff that dreams are made of? You think you're like the, the, the rock star going into the club and everybody's eyes are upon you? No, 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 no. I know where this winds up. So then what Solomon does, he pulls out of this story. Okay, He pulls out of it and he says, don't get caught up in the ladies that's so gross or guys are not in my life. You need to listen. You need to hear something. So that's what he does. He says, now, sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words from my mouth. So he's pulling away and said, you need to hear this. What do we need to hear? Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her past, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is on the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. So what he's saying is that this happens so often. 
It's not just a few people. This is many people. This, this is a story that goes on time and time and time again. See, here's what every young person thinks. When they start heading down a road like this, they think they're unique. They think this has never happened to anybody else before. They think it's just them. But what Psalms say, no, 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 no. This is predictable. It's common. It's so predictable, it's laughable. And you go to a person, you say, man, look, the road you're heading on, it leads down here. What does it say? You're being judgmental. No, no, no. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying I've seen this over and over again. I know where that road leads. I know it's at the end of that road. It's like when you go to a counselor. And you get in with the counselor, and you start telling them your issue, and you get about halfway done with your story. And the counselor goes, and I bet he did this, or I bet she said that. And you go, whoa, you're so smart. How did you know? And he's thinking to himself, I'm not smart. I've just heard this same thing a couple of thousand times. You're like the last idiot that was in here 30 minutes ago. I just know where this story goes. Or they come to pastor, and usually by the time they get to me, they're already at the end of that path. And it's not a good thing. The life is already sort of falling apart. And they want, how did I get here? You know, how did this happen? And I go, that's the path you've been on for years. You should have seen it coming. This is the thing that goes on in so many people's lives. They get on a path. And they have the intention of winding up somewhere, and they wind up somewhere else. See, people think sin is an act. Sin is not an act. It's a path, and it leads to a destination. And you can't, you can't change the destination of the path that you're on. It's not going to happen. But people have a disconnect all the time. People think, I intend to go over here, but they wind up over here. And they don't connect. I'm on this path going this direction, but I intend to be over here. They don't make that connection. It's completely disconnect with them. Like the, the, the person who says, man, I want my children to respect me. I want my children to come to me and ask me for advice later on in life. So I'm going to fool around on, their, on, on, their, on my wife or on my husband. Well, when your kids disrespect you, where do you think that path's going to lead? Or how about this one? I want to have great sex when I'm married, so I'm just going to sleep with everybody till the time I get married. See, people think as long as there's no pregnancy or there's no disease, that there's no consequences. That just all you want. That's because they haven't had to carry the, the issues from premarital sex into their 40s and 50s. And later on in life, you won't find a guy who's 50 years old who says, you know what? I'm so glad I slept around so much before we got married because this led, led to a great sex life now that we're married. You won't find a guy in his 50s who says that. But people have this disconnect all the time. Or what about this one? I want to meet this great Christian guy and get married, so I'm going to date the first guy that comes along if he's cute and asks me out. See, girls think, guys, all they have is the same agenda. They just want to use me and dump me. Well, where do you think the path you're on is going to lead? 
So you can have this intention all you want, but if you're on this path, you're going to wind up where that path leads. It's like getting on the park's highway and complaining about winding up in Fairbanks. I know nobody wants to go, especially today. You don't want to go Fairbanks as cold as this. Why would you want to go to Fairbanks? But hey, when you get on the park's highway, don't complain about winding up in Fairbanks because that's just where the road leads to. To think you can go down a certain path and not wind up where that path leads, that's just dumb. Okay, That's just dumb. You don't want to wind up in your 30s wishing you had been on a different path when you were a teenager. You don't want to wind up in your 50s wishing you were on a different path in your 30s. Because if you get on the wrong road while you're driving, that may cost you a few minutes or Maybe if you really lost an hour or so of your time, but you get on the wrong path in these certain areas of life, that may cost you years, may cost you decades. So, one of the biggest disconnects that's going on today is in the, the political realm. People think they can be on this path politically but wind up somewhere over here with the kingdom of God. Because let's put it this way, people today are politicked off, are they not? I mean, people have always had disagreements about politics. That's nothing new. But the way it is today, if you're on a path that leads to broken relationships with your family, with your friends, with your church, over politics, you're not on the right path. Okay? But it's gotten so bad today in our culture, even in our churches. Garth Brooks, everybody knows him, right? You've heard of him? He went to Oklahoma State University. One of their most famous alumni. They have another famous alumni there at Oklahoma State University. His name's Barry Sanders, football player. Great college running back. Out of college, got drafted by the Detroit Lions. And I still remember the story. He got a five-point-something million signing bonus. Barry did. He was also Christian. Or is, I guess. I don't, don't know where he's at today. But I do know this. I, I, I laughed like crazy. He tithed on his five-point-something million-dollar bonus to the church. That was a happy pastor. But he goes on, plays for the Detroit Lions, gets in the NFL Hall of Fame. So he's another one of their famous alumni. So here's Garth Brooks, who's going to Detroit, where Barry played football at for years, doing a concert. So in honor of his good friend Barry Sanders... He wears on stage a Barry Sanders number 20 jersey. And immediately when he steps on stage, social media lights up. I didn't come to some concert to hear about politics. I'll never buy one of your albums again. See, they thought he was promoting Bernie Sanders. And that's where our culture is at. That's what's happening. If I disagree with you politically, I don't have anything to do with you. If we have different views on politics, 
then you're just canceled. You're just, just no longer a, a part of my life at all. Many are on the path where they would rather see their political enemies destroyed rather than come to Christ. That's the Jonah syndrome. Here's the thing I want you to, to realize. There's a path that the, toward the kingdom of God, for God, what God wants. And you know what's on that path? What's on that path is everybody's been created in the image of God. Jesus was sent to die for every person in the world. They're so precious to God that he sent his son to die for them. You know what's on that path? All people are important because they're important to God. Jesus accepted everyone. We are to accept others the same way Jesus accepted us. Now let me tell you, what was your life when Jesus accepted you? I don't know how some of you were younger, but some of you are pretty messed up. Some of you are still sort of messed up. But some of you were really messed up whenever Jesus accepted you. He accepted you anyway. That's what's on the path where the kingdom of God is all about, not the council culture that we're in. Because, see, people have different backgrounds. They have different preferences. And I know this is going to take some of you by surprise, and I know it's hard to hear, but believe it or not, there are people in our culture who like cats better than dogs. What do you do with people like that? I say lock them up, send them to the insane asylum. They're crazy. There are people of different opinions. Here's what God says. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, even if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also ought to forgive. Above all, above everything else, put on love, which is the perfect bond of? No one should be better at this than Christians. No one should be better at, at coming together and forgiving and, 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 and loving and, and overlooking and, and accepting one another than Christians. Putting on love. Why? Because it unifies us together. Here we go out of Ephesians 4.29. No foul language should come from your mouth or unwholesome word if you have a different version, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Now, if just Christians did that, people in our culture did that, half the stuff on the internet would be gone. What if the only words that came out of your mouth were words that built people up? And I'm going to shock you again. This is worse than people who like cats more than dogs. But I want to give you a, a, a doctrinal view that has changed in my life. And this is not probably good because I'm, it's, not, it's, it's not fundamentally sound. Okay. And, and I realize that, but I just, it, it's changed. I don't believe the devil lives in hell. 
I believe he lives on the comments section of social media. Because that's where you see him all the time. You get on that, he's there. It's obvious he's there. And guess, guess who, whose territory you're in when you get involved in, in putting down other people and get involved in that back and forth on social media when you're not trying to build somebody else up. One more. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Everyone should be slow to anger. Not, what, what I want you to understand, he says, don't be slow to anger unless somebody says something you think's wrong. Because people, everybody has their own viewpoint and y'all think they're right. But in humility, we're to listen, we're, we're to, to listen to one another. No one should be better at humility than Christians. Now understand this, humility is not only how you view your own self, humility is also seeing other people with value. Not how could they vote that way. Not how could they believe that. And the minute you come, that comes out of your mouth, how could they vote that way? How could they call themselves Christians and believe like that? That says a lot more about you than it does about them. It is never wrong. It is never wrong. It is never wrong to treat somebody right even if you think they're wrong. How can being civil and humble ever be controversial for a follower of Christ? But what we so often do is we assume bad motives for other people, but we assume good motives for us. This happens all the time. You know the reason your kids have trouble in school? They're just dysfunctional. That's all. They're just dysfunctional. The reason my kids struggle is they got learning disabilities. But your kids are just dysfunctional. Or how about this? The reason I'm overweight is because I got bad genes from my parents. The reason you're overweight is you're just lazy and undisciplined. Or the reason you're late because you just don't care about people. The reason I'm sometimes late is I'm just so busy. Isn't that what we do? Jesus prayed for unity for his church because he knew we'd all be diverse. And he wants a diverse church for several reasons. But just think, just think of the diversity among the disciples that he chose. One of them was a zealot. You know what that means? A zealot thought that the answer to the Roman occupation was to kill him. They'd have their, their, their cloaks on, their, their, their robes on, and, and they'd go through a marketplace and take out a little dagger and stab a Roman soldier, this sort of disappear into the crowd. They thought the answer to the Roman occupation was to kill them. Then Jesus also called a, mat, a tax collector. Their answer to the Roman occupation was to accommodate them. Do what you can to help them out. Be a traitor of what everybody else thought of them. Now, can you imagine... When those two are around each other, camping out with Jesus, going there with Jesus, they had to have some interesting conversations. You can't get any more different than that. That's as diverse as you can get. That makes Democrat and Republican look like light blue and slightly darker blue. Just a, yeah, I can't, I'm not sure I can tell the difference between those two colors. What are they? It, they were so far apart. 
Jesus prayed intensely for our unity because he wanted a diverse church because that was the very thing he knew would be the greatest witness to the world. When people who from Jew and Gentile, from slave and free and slave owner, from rich and poor and, and, and man and woman, all these other, when they would come together and be so wrapped up in who Christ is that those differences just sort of faded away and didn't matter anymore. He said, the world will know they are one. That, that, that you sent me because of our unity. Our, our witness and our unity can't be separated. Those two things have always gone together. You can't separate that. And whenever we tried to, whenever we've not been unified, guess what we've lost? We've lost our witness. See, we love the thought of diversity. We just don't like diversity of thought. We love the idea of of having a church filled up with people from all over the place, from every culture, every language, unless they say something we think's wrong. Then it becomes different. See, the world knows how to build walls. They've seen that happen over and over again. They don't know what it's like to build bridges. And so when they see a church that has all these differences, but they come together and they build bridges? Oh, that's so attractive to them. They go, wow, how are you guys doing that? So what should you do with somebody who has a different opinion than you do? Different viewpoint. You should love them and take them out to lunch. Show them you love them and value them. doesn't mean you change your mind or change your viewpoint. It means you're saying, look, I have a right, I have a viewpoint, but I will gladly give that up, set that aside, whatever it takes so that we can walk together in unity. Here's how it's put in Philippians. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Now, you need to understand that doesn't mean we all view politics the same way, but he's saying that Christ is going to be first. Having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We're all headed in the same direction. we got different opinions, but we're all headed in the same direction. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. When's the last time you saw that happen on the Internet? Oh, I have my opinion, but I value yours more. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, that'll mess with you. In today's culture, adopt the same attitude that was that of Christ Jesus. In other words, had this, or have the same mind that was that was in Christ. In other words, think the same way Christ did. How did Christ think? He existed in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. You think he knew he was right on every issue? You bet. Instead, he emptied himself. Assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even to death on a cross. Wow. What did he give up for our sake? What could he have, have come and done and, and says, hey, I'm God, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God, I'm the creator of all this, I am the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And he could have enforced that, but what did he do? He instead chose to humble himself. Not just that. He went so much further. He emptied himself of all his glory, of all his glory, humbled himself and became obedient to death even. Wow. And I have a hard time even trying to come along with somebody who's different political opinion than I am. But look what Jesus did. Two things in conclusion. Number one is this. I love my country, but I am fundamentally a Christian first. That takes precedence over any of that, which I know all of you agree with. But see, I know I have a lot more in common with a person in China who confesses Christ than someone in Alaska who denies Christ. Being a Christian comes first. And, and I know you all agree with that, but, but let, me, let me get you to understand where our culture was at. Back a few years ago, some of our planes bombed a Muslim city. A bunch of people were killed. There's a pastor on the East Coast who had friends, fellow Christian friends in that Muslim city. They had been killed by those bombs. So he gets up on Sunday morning and he just simply laments the death of his Christian friends in that Muslim city. He doesn't bash the military. He doesn't bash our government. He just simply laments their deaths. What responses did he get? I don't care if they were Christians. They're our enemies. I hope they all die. Now that's somebody who's on the wrong path. That's somebody who's on the wrong path. There is no political party that can bring about the future I long for. None. The future of the kingdom is not determined by the future of any nation. Not at all. We should be glad about that. Because we're part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. And I believe that what's going to make me the best citizen of this country is to be the best thing I can for the kingdom of God. I think that will make me the best citizen this country's ever seen. Is when I serve God. Daniel proved that in the wicked culture of Babylon. Here's the second thing. There is a revival path, a path at least toward revival. There is an entrance ramp onto that path, and that entrance ramp is called humility. 
You will never get on that path to revival till you first go through that entrance ramp or you get on this ramp or you go through that door, however you want to call it, till you get to that of humility. Never happen. There has to be humility first. And on that path, there's forgiveness. On that path, there's love. Maybe I need to define that too. Love is sacrificial. Love is willing to give up. If you're not willing to give up something, then you really don't love that person. If you're not willing to, to give up. For God so loved the world, He gave. Every time you see, well, I don't say every time. I'll say, how about 98% of the time? How's that sound? Which is probably somewhat accurate. Where you see love talked about in the Bible, it's always talked about in the context of sacrifice. There's always some giving up around because that's what love does. It sacrifices. Love is on that path. Forgiveness is on that path. So back four years ago, I still remember it because it made an impression upon me. I was right there near the secretary's desk. There wasn't anybody there. I was here by myself, I got a phone call from another pastor. This was the day after the election four years ago. He was so excited. Trump had been elected. Yes, I know it. Revival's coming. Trump's been elected. Revival's coming. And I go, yeah, I see things a little bit differently than that. What I see going on is Christians getting so wrapped up in politics that they don't see how badly they need to be on this revival path. I see things getting worse and worse for us, not better. And I went over a couple of those reasons. Well, Friday night, two nights ago, he calls me up. We don't talk, we talk more than every four years. We talk a couple times a month. But he calls me up. And he says, during the course of a conversation, he says, remember what you said four years ago? And I did, because of the context of the conversation, I knew exactly, yes, because I, I remember that very well. And I didn't figure he did because, you know, I was kind of contradicting where he was coming from. And, you know, it probably didn't impress him much at all. But, but he says, you know, and he's calling that conversation. He says, you were right. You were right. Because he's dealing with that in his church where people are, are so wrapped up in, in either for or against something. I'm not trying to put anybody in a, uh, on a, in a box here, put him in my bad place, but just any, just I just see the mess going on in my church, and that's exactly what's happened. They get so caught up in this stuff that's going on culturally that they completely ignore what God needs to do in the church. Completely ignore. Let me read you this out of Haggai. It's not on the, it's not on the monitors, but let me read you this passage. Two verses, three verses out of Haggai chapter. One, he says in verse 3, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while, the, while this house 
lies desolate. He's talking about the temple. He's talking about God's dwelling place. While it lies desolate, then he says this in verse 9. You expected much, but then it amounted a little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. See, there's a path that leads to revival. But you get a hold of any other agenda, you're not getting on that path. Right now, God's house, His body, His church, however you want to put that, is in shambles in our culture. Look around at the sin that's just involved. It's just inside. Look around at the mess. It's, it's, it's in shambles. So this is a path. This revival path is one we have to get on. But what are we doing? We're too concerned about our own agenda. I know that some things, they do matter. I know election matters and policy matters and, and who's in I know that stuff matters. And let me make myself clearer because some people are going to think you're picking on me. I know that, all right, let's just put this in, in, in a, language you all understand today. I don't care if you're mask or no mask. If it is getting your agenda over here when it ought to be over here, it's wrong. God's house is going to lay in shambles and we're going to continue to go on ignoring that. So this is not a thing of what's good or bad. This is just the fact that this needs to have a priority in your life, God is saying. This needs to be your consuming agenda. My house. Because you're out here doing your own stuff, whether good or bad. You're just out here doing your own stuff when you ought to be focused over here on what's going on in my house, my body, my church, how it's lying in shambles. So what I'm saying is that revival path has to be our priority. It has to be. We can't afford to, to, to keep on going. And you can't just try and say, I'm going to fix this. It's what we've been saying all along. You want to change past? You have to follow your way out. You have to have that connection to God. You have to get reconnected to Him and say, God, I want to walk through that first part, which is humility. Because you know what keeps people from that revival path more than anything else? They don't want to humble themselves and realize that their view of mask or no mask, whatever it is, that's keeping them from getting on this path to, to revival. Because they don't want to admit, they want to put the agenda somewhere else rather than what's going on in their own lives. And they think something else takes, is, can have their attention. No. And let me try and be clear just because I don't want to be misunderstood. We all are in this, okay? Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets to say, because I think we ought to wear masks, I think I'm doing okay. No, we, nobody gets a pass. We're all that God's as long as God's house remains in shambles, remains in ruins, as long as his body is in as sad a shape as it is today. But this is not going to happen till we go through that door of humility. Till we humble ourselves. And we go, God, what is it that I'm overlooking? Or how come I'm not even willing to bear the sins of my brothers and sisters in Christ? Until we go that, that road to that door through humility, till we're willing to do that, 
What's at the end of that path will never come about. Never. Never happen. You have to follow your way out. You have to come to Christ and say, I need the directions to get on another path. I need help in getting on this other path. Lord, let me follow you. And you know the first thing he's going to say? Well, let me tell you what I did. I was in heaven with God. The glory, I was the second person of the Trinity. I had all this glory, and I let go of that. I pushed that aside to come down to earth. Not only that, I became a man. I went from God to man. Not only that, I died on a cross, a humiliating death. And if I could bend down lower, I would go lower. But this is probably about as far as I could go. Okay? And you think you can get revival any other way besides humbling yourself like I did? You're fooling yourself. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. So, we're all on these different paths. But there's one path that we better be on, that we so desperately need to be on. And you're wondering whether or not you're on that path? It'll be when you're so overcome with humility, you look at others better than yourself. You put their interest above your own. You seek unity above all else. You want to be with them. You want to set those different sides, and you want to seek unity. That's the doorway you have to go through whenever you start looking, okay, they have a different viewpoint than I am, but I'm going to still hold them up as better than myself. I'm going to seek after their interests, not my own. That seems so foreign to us, doesn't it? About as foreign as being God and becoming a man and dying on a cross. Now, I feel pretty lucky. He's not asking me to go die on a cross. He's just asking me to hold somebody else who does somebody else around me doesn't hold my views to hold them in high esteem. Not going overtime, Jenny? Okay, good. <laughs> Probably am. So, anyway, we'll stop. Your way out is to follow. It's tough when there's so many people, not so many people in church. I see everything now. See, I see everything you guys are doing. So, Jenny was giving me a little sign. (laughs) I know. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. All right. So, here's your choice. To be willing to say, God, I want to be on that path. God, help me to see what I need to see. Help me to give up everything I need to give up. Help me to humble myself like you did so I can be on that path. Help me not to hold on to my viewpoints of thinking I'm so right that it keeps me from getting on that path. Because you know what? I wasn't in that upper room when Jesus appeared to the disciples. I wasn't there. So I'm just making an assumption. And I don't think it's too far off an assumption. I bet when Jesus Christ appeared to them, 
after he rose from the dead, those disciples, I bet you the zealot and the tax collector could have cared less about anything else. I don't think that mattered to them one bit more. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.